he's a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. The coach, Keith Miller. He's a well-respected national high school football recruiting analyst. Craig Biggins. Together they bring you the transparent truth, the world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. The transparent truth. <laughs> welcome, welcome. You're now listening to The Transparent Truth. It's your boy, Coach Keith. Five-star Friday. And, man, do we got a five-star guest. One of the coaches I have been a huge fan of from afar. Uh, a guy who is a difference maker as a ball coach. Sent a bunch of guys to Division One, A few guys to the NFL to make millions and millions of dollars. None other than... Shamanad head coach Ed Croson. GB, I got you here with me, my friend. We got Ed Croson on the interview today. How you doing? You won't find a more respected head coach out there among his peers than Ed Croson. And I remember, you know, being involved with the, the former California game, which is a California all-star team versus a Florida team, and just talking to some of the other coaches. And, you know, it, coaches are sometimes, sometimes like personal trainers. They think their way is the only way that works. Everyone universally respected Ed Croson and talked about him like he was the guy, the man among men. So it's always fun to catch up with him. Great, great guy, great football coach. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, in the coach community, as I was a part of, well-respected. From afar, you saw him win with less talent versus more talented team. You saw him scheme um, to really highlight his player skill set and really take advantage of the weaknesses of other teams. One of the you know best games I saw him coach again was uh, you know that Sarah game back when they had a Dory Jackson and that Sarah team was loaded, man. And Shamanad had I mean not Shamanad but you know yeah it was Shamanad they yeah, had, it was, it was, yeah 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 you right they had gotten blown out by Sarah earlier in the year really got whooped. They played him again, I think, in the CIF championship game, and they beat Sarah. It was an unbelievable game, terrific performance by the Chaminade Eagles. Uh, so we're excited to have Ed Croson on board here as our five-star Friday guest. But before we do that, we have to remind people about our Sleeper of the Week. Hey, we want to remind everybody, tune in every Wednesday for our Sleeper of the Week segment. Really want to thank our guy, Larry Miller. He's allowing us to showcase unknown prospects that need to be brought to the spotlight. Larry is all about family and community, and his support is helping to change the lives of young players across the country. Each week, young men are getting scholarship offers after being featured on this show. So thank you, Larry. When we have business and a man that is really interested in the community, we need to show our support right back at him. Sit Sleep is the only place that offers advanced sleep technology. Greg? Body diagnostics. That's five-star stuff. This is high-quality stuff. Lay down on a mattress, and within seconds, thousands of sensors can help you find the absolute right mattress for you. Wow, within seconds? Seconds. Man, that's awesome. Sit and Sleep. They'll beat anyone's advertised price or your mattress is free. Appreciate you, Larry Miller. Thank you, Larry. All right, and we're back. So without further ado, I want to get into this interview. You know, I can't say enough. A guy I truly respect, um, his ability to train athletes, develop them under um, his, his, his weight room system, his scheme system, and just his program over there before when he was at Birmingham, tremendous football team. I believe it was 2007. You know, they were one of the better teams that I had seen um, here in Southern California, the Jackson Twins. And we'll get into that in the interview. 
Milton Knox and such. And now at Chaminade, they had a very good football team last last year, really competed well and hard and showed up for themselves versus that Bosco team who was pretty loaded last year. Of course, they lost Andrew Van Bully, who's now at the Boise State Broncos. They still have the jackhammer, Blake Anzalados. And we'll talk a little bit about that with Coach Croson here on the interview. So, uh, let's let's cut to it. We got Ed Croson, five-star coach on Five Star Friday. Here we go. All right, now we'd like to bring in somewhat of a legend out here in Southern California, a guy who is known for building up programs, turning around programs and communities, championship coach Ed Croson out of Chaminade High School out of West Hills. Coach Croson, thank you for joining us here on the Transparent Truth. How are you doing? Yeah, hey, thanks a lot. Uh, for a second there, I thought you were talking about somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, coach. We we know, we know that you are known for having a really good sense of humor, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take that as a part of that funny sense of humor that you have there. But uh, needless to say, coach, you have won multiple championships. You've produced multiple NFL players. Some some of the best players that the CIF Southern Section or the LA City Section has seen over the last ten to twenty years. Um, I got my partner Greg Biggins here on the line. He's gonna lead this interview, but. You know, it's an honor to have you on the show. And as always with our guests on Five Star Friday, please give Mr. Greg Biggins the transparent truth when answering his questions. Will do. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, so, Coach, like, your humility has always been there. But honestly, I I was just thinking to myself last night, you know, Bob Johnson has retired. And if you talk about, like, true, that word legend kind of gets thrown around a little too much. But if you talk about who's done it over a long period of time and who is, no one is more respected among their peers than you, Coach. I mean, just talking to other coaches, they rave about you. I mean, there's probably Matt Logan, Bruce Rawlinson, and, like, you. I mean, those are probably the Southern California coaching. We need one more for Mount Rushmore. But you've done it all. You've done it all. It's awesome to have you. Um, Let's go old school, right? We can't talk about Ed Croson from Chaminade before we, we got to go to those Birmingham days. I know you spent, you know, called you, what, eight or nine years there. And I think the mark of a, a great coach is always look at what the program was like before and after a coach was there. And obviously you did some things at Birmingham that will never be duplicated. Four city titles, um, coached arguably and. This is definitely an argument, but the 2007 Birmingham team, some people say might be the best L.A. City team of all time. And yeah, let's just jump right in right there, Coach. Let's just jump right in with that 2007, uh, 2007, t- 2007 team. Um, I was at the Long Beach Poly game, Coach. I was at that game, and I remember after you beat those guys, people said, oh, Long Beach Poly is down. And the irony in that statement, looking back, was that was the only game they lost the whole entire year. They had a guy named Jarrell Casey who was pretty good at football. They had Vaughn Telemac who was pretty good at football. Melvin Richardson. And Polly went undefeated, ended up winning Division One. They actually beat a Crespi team that was your only loss. If you can remember back to 2017, and let's talk, let's talk specifically just about the Long Beach Poly game for a second. When did you know that that was a, a pretty special unit and, and a pretty special team that you had right there well the year you know actually that group kind of uh made a splash as ninth graders and um obviously milton uh played on the on the varsity and ended up being all league as a freshman and uh the jacksons there was a bunch of them that got time 
uh, a little bit in the playoffs as freshmen, but then as sophomores, we had a huge graduation the year before, and we were forced to play with 15 sophomores. And uh, it was tough, but by the end of the year, they could hold their own. Their junior year, uh, they won the city title, you know, and, and really the rest is history. I think we gave up two touchdowns in our last 10 games. Our starters gave up two touchdowns in our last 10 games. But we had Donovan Carter, that's, uh, you know, star of ballers now. We had, uh, yeah, you know, almost our whole defense was back, both the Jacksons, of course. And then uh, we had some really good uh, offensive linemen and um, Milton. And yeah, it was, um, we got Xavier Johnson, the quarterback. And just, uh, you know, the stars aligned. Had a bunch of great guys. A lot of them are still, Michael Rivera and, and, and Malik are I still playing. Mikey. Yeah, Devin yeah. Flournoy was a junior on that 2017, I believe. He was a USC yep. c- commit yep. back in the day. And, but the, the, I just remember the Jacksons, both of Malik and yeah. Marquise, were, were, were just unreal off that edge. Yep. What was it like coaching those two? Yeah, well, it was, you know, they're tough guys, and so it was a little bit of a challenge, but it was fun. And, you know, they were linebackers and uh, when they were freshmen, and they didn't play much on the far soft, but they were the guys that helped me paint the field, so they were my string holders. So in the playoffs, I had to bring them up, even though they weren't starters, and um, because I needed to paint the field. And we found out that they were made of rubber. And so, I mean, they could take hits, and they were tough as heck. And uh, as sophomores, you know, we, 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 like I say, had a huge graduation, and, and so we moved them to defensive end because uh, their dad was big, and we knew they were going to be big kids. And at the beginning, they were just not good. But they were <laughs> tough and continued to improve. And by the time they were seniors, they were just really unstoppable out there. I mean, Malik is still playing in the league, obviously. Yeah. Did you kind of see at that time that – you know, he'd be the, the guy. Obviously, Dalvin Carter went to UCLA, and now he's doing ballers, HBO. Did you kind of sense that you had a couple guys on that team with, with NFL potential? Well, at that time, uh, Marquise was a little bit ahead of Malik. And uh, Malik was kind of, you know, like the runt. He's the one that kind of had to, you know, work harder and kind of always tried to kind of prove himself. And I think um, just some of the habits that he developed really paid off for him down the road, uh, even though both were great players. And uh, Marquise made it to the last cut with the Vikings. I mean, he had a, a shot at it too, but, you know, graduated from college and is doing real well. So, you know, we're proud of both those guys. But obviously Malik with the contract that he has. and Jeez. Yep. A fun now, Milton Knox. Milton yep. Knox was such a unique running back for me. Because, I mean, you, you look at the kid, and even now, you know, I've, I see him all the time. He's still involved. But he, you know, wasn't the biggest guy, wasn't the fastest guy, didn't really look the part, but man, just so tough, so productive. What was it like being around him? And, and if you can, what made him such a great high school running back? You know, uh, and like you say, uh, wasn't the biggest guy, but tough as nails, incredible motor, but just passion and um not to be denied, a great personality, you know, fun at practice and just played over his head, you know, and just was a, a guy not to be denied. We'd call inside zone on third and 12, you know, because the people would be in, in uh, you know, in their prevent stuff and, hey, you still got to tackle Milton. He was just hard to tackle. You know, we've been fortunate to have some great running backs and he's as, as, as good as there is at this, at this level for sure. 
So if I remember correctly, I think that you guys lost to Crespi. That was the first game of the season, correct? And that, that was a really good Crespi team. I remember Joe Faria, Brian Bennett, Lucky Radley, EJ Woods were on that team. Um, yep. That was game one, correct? And then after that, you guys just started to roll. What do you remember about that Crespi loss? Well, I remember that um, our quarterback uh, broke his hand the Wednesday before the practice, or before the game. And so it was a little bit of musical chairs. And um, it, it was just one of those nights. We can't, you know, completely blame it on that. But uh, Milton fumbled one time in two years, and it was that night on the goal line. They had they ran back a kick on us, so it was just um, one of those nights where hard as we played and as good as we were, and they were good. So it wasn't. I think they were preseason number six in the, in the state. I'm sure they finished yeah, in the top yeah. ten. So it was, you know, and the margin for error, you know, when you get to that level is small. So it was, uh, and then, you know, I, and that probably helped us. That probably woke us up a little bit because we had won the city title the year before and kids have a tendency, you know, and people to become satisfied. And, and it's never a, the key to improvement is being satisfied. So I think that woke us up a little bit and the rest, you know, they, they got it together. You guys always, just in, I don't want to speed ahead too soon, because I, I still kind of want to talk more about that 2007 season. Obviously, there was a little bit of controversy at the end with, with Centennial getting picked over you guys to play in the state game against Dennis Sal, but you guys have always seen, the, your teams have always peaked late, you know, and I want to go touch upon the, the 2004 team that ended up yeah. beating Dorsey. That was, that, Dorsey was loaded. I mean, David Geddes and Stephon Johnson, that was a phenomenal yeah. team. No one thought much of you guys. I want to say you had like four losses that year but then you guys just started to roll and end up yeah one of them yeah yeah, one of them was to them uh so yeah we were one and four so we you know uh, one of the reasons that we try to schedule up uh then is one to challenge our kids but two we could get good film and we could play against disciplined teams which would help our guys get better and, and so I think the more you challenge kids, the more they rise to the occasion. Now, you know, sometimes maybe we overdo it. But that's a good example of uh, in that year. We were one and four in the preseason and ended up winning the rest of our games. So, and it was tough. I mean, we had, you know, fights on the field. We had some real conflicts that we had to deal with. And I think dealing with those conflicts made us a better team. And, um, yeah, it was a, a heck of a run. Hey, let's do, let's jump ahead again to 2007, 2007, magical season, beat Long Beach Poly, beat a really good Notre Dame Sherman Oaks team. Dane Chris was our quarterback. You guys roll. You mentioned like two touchdowns the rest of the year on defense. Centennial was really good, obviously, too. They had, you know, one of the Bass brothers, Matt Scott, junior year, Vontez Perfect, I think. They were, they were really strong. You, in terms of, you know, they got picked, um, if it was today, you guys would have played in a state game as well. But back then, it was just one team for yeah. Division One. Pick Centennial, who ended up playing De La Salle. But you know, looking back, does, does that do you ever still think about that? I mean, me, I'm I love looking. I'm a historical guy. I, I still kind of looking back and think about those kind of things. But you know, how upset or bothered were you and your players at that time to get passed over? Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, you know, we had a great year. It was kind of hard to be upset about anything. That kind of stuff can go either way. You know, we did sort of make it so they had to revisit the rules and allow more teams in. You know, I think us being that good and not making it sort of, you know, 
sh- uh, shine some light on the fact that there's, you know, more than three teams should be in the state. And so, yeah, it's a drag to have, you know, rules set for you after the fact. But it was still a great year and a great group. Yeah. So, and Centennial, yeah. they do a great job out there. You know, very well coached. I mean, they get that program rolling. And so, it, you know, hey, they're good too. No, absolutely. So 2009, I want to say, that's when you made the decision. 2008, 2009, right around that time, school year, football year. I, I can always, I get, I'm always get, I get them confused, but yeah. you made the move from Birmingham over to Chaminade. What were the biggest factors in that decision? Well, I was at Chaminade before, and um, I went to Birmingham, and there was a, a lot of things that made that happen. And it, uh, it you know, everything kind of fell in place. Uh, my, my son was had graduated. And, you know, we really felt like we had done everything we could at Birmingham. Even though I love Birmingham, my assistants are still there. We're still in close contact with those people. Just love the community and, and still am somewhat involved. Uh, but it just, you know, felt like it was time for a change. And um, Chaminade had, had uh, you know, called me and, you know, it just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. And the, we started here with... My first spring ball, we had 13 coaches and 18 players. That's how we started 2009, the spring ball of 2009. I went in the, after the first practice and I told all the coaches, I'm sorry I talked to you coming in here, but I don't think we'll win a game. But um, we started getting kids. We got lacrosse players. We got baseball guys. We got basketball kids to play. And uh, actually ended up winning the playoff game and uh, sort of set the tone for the rest. But uh, it was fun doing that, too. So... You know, it, I just felt like the Birmingham thing at the time had run its course, and I was just looking for something new. And, and just coach those kids up like crazy and end up winning a whole bunch of football games. Hey, it probably takes way too long for you to give, you know, the full-on story behind it, but just give me the Reader's Digest version, Coach. What is your what is your coaching philosophy? When you walk into a Chaminade, and there's almost as many, as many coaches as players, you got guys playing lacrosse, baseball. How do you coach those guys up? Like when you, you know, someone would say, "Hey Ed, give me your, give me your coaching, your style." You know, offense, defense, your strength program. We, me and you, have talked about that. I love your philosophy on strength programming, and, and we'll want to definitely get your, your, your thoughts on the conditioning that you do. It's kind of high tech stuff, but you know, yeah. what, what is, what do you do offensively, defensively? I mean, just when you're trying to build a program, what is your philosophy? Well, I, I think to be a teacher first, I think also to understand the level. So this is adolescence. This is not the NFL. This is not college. And there's different demands on kids. So I think, you know, the way we teach them, I think, is the most important thing. And we just continue to teach. Uh, you know, we try not to bully. And we, and we just try to teach. Also, we think that kids, you know, they're so uh, moldable in adolescence that kids rise to the level of expectation. So our first day at Birmingham, we said our goal is to win the city title. And we also told the kids that we know that some of you aren't going to be able to make it because some of you, it's not in you. And so we'll go with the guys that it's in them. You know, when we came to Chaminade, it was the same thing. We said, these are our expectations. We expect to win, you know, and we want to learn how to be champions. So, um, you know, over time, just with the way you coach, you eliminate mistakes by making mistakes. You know, I think we're to the point now where our injury prevention is just off the charts. And one of the reasons is we've, we've wrecked kids before. I mean, we've, we've not consciously, but we've learned, you know, by our mistakes. 
So coaching philosophy-wise, I think if you hold the bar high and teach to that bar, kids will adapt. Football players are the risk takers in our world. You know, they're the ones with confidence. And so that's exciting to me because we're dealing with leadership-type kids. Um, but I think uh, the more you challenge them, the more they'll respond. You know, as long as your your teaching goes along with that. So, you know, we just get up in the morning and work hard every day, and that's what we want to instill in our players, too. What about, you know, as a head coach, obviously, you're, you're both sides of the ball, but did you always kind of, did you find yourself maybe when you were younger, were you more of an offensive-minded coach, or did you kind of gravitate more towards the defensive side? And, and what, what was your kind of your scheme offensively? Because I know we all thought, yeah, he's ground and pound. He's old school. He's, you know, Chuck Knox. He wants to beat the crap out of you. But then those Brad Kaya teams, now you guys threw the heck out of the football. So, again, younger, Ed Croson, did you kind of see yourself more as an offensive coach or a defensive coach? And what is your kind of offensive philosophy scheme-wise? Well, I've been I've been on both sides of the ball. And I was a defensive coordinator at Pierce College, and I ran the run offense at Southern Utah State at the time. And so, you know, I've been on both sides of the ball. I played offense. Offense is probably my first love, but I've been on defense a lot. Now, I'm going back to defensive this year, and I ran both last year, and it was just too much. So I've got some guys that have been with the floor to come back, and so I'll, I'll, I'll spend more time on defense. They're both fun. Um, so offensive philosophy, what you see with the power pitch is actually a special team. I worked for – when I uh, I was a volunteer when I was still in the pool business here for Rich Lawson, and he ran the power pitch, Don Markham's power pitch. And I hated the offense because it was so boring. But I learned how to coach it, you know, kind of the cliff notes. And so we've always kept that, and it's become a special team. So we work on special teams. All of our seven-on-seven guys are working on special teams. Our offensive line and quarterbacks work on goal line and field goal PAT. So um, we have learned how to devote not much time to it, and it's completely, you know, dissimilar to everything else we do because we're a spread team so we have some run and shoot concepts we have some west coast concepts that we picked up along the way we spent a lot of time with the university of oregon uh back in the early 2000s and mid 2000s or or maybe the 2010s around there when they were kind of in their heyday in fact uh i spoke at the clinic one year and it was when chip kelly was the receiver coach and so we just kind of got you know enthralled by them and what they were doing so we evolved that way a little bit so we're, we're kind of, we can kind of mold it to, so when we had Brad Kaya, you know, but Brad's going to throw a bad bubble screen before he runs. I think he ran twice his senior year, but we still had some of that go fast zone read stuff. At the same time, you know, our base is four wides, four verticals. So we're trying to be a spread team. And so it depends on the personality of our quarterback. And that sort of determines you know, how much of the spread stuff and the, and, and, and the vertical passing game, how much of the read zone stuff. Um, everybody's getting into these RPOs a little bit. We're, you know, starting to learn about that too. Haven't really, you know, turned the corner on that, but, but it, you know, it's an interesting. So we kind of try to have a, a wide enough uh, uh, playbook so that we can adapt it to the players we have, you know. And so we spend the off season trying to figure out what can each kid do, and we try to put him in a situation where he can do that. So every year we look a little bit different, you know, based on the, the personality of the guys we got. That's kind of our philosophy. No, I think it was, I don't know if it was this past offseason last year when we talked or the year before, but you got kind of a new advanced high-tech strength and conditioning program. Could you kind of break that, again, Cliff Notes, Reader's Digest, kind of break that 
Break down what you want to do with those kids and kind of the, the philosophy that you have when it comes to your strength program. The uh, About five or six years ago, they came up with a camera system in Kansas that detects kinetics. So it's, it was 24 cameras and with software. So they put you through these 16 exercises and it tells where there's asymmetries and really compensation patterns. So as we age, things happen to us. Our brain moves our muscles differently and that creates compensation patterns. So we have underused and overused muscles. And those overused is always manifest themselves in injury. This system, it's a performance lab of California. We go to them. And so they assess our guys three times a year because your compensation has changed. And so each kid gets his own personal correctives, and it's really neurology. This is the frontier in exercise science. Uh, people are doing FMS, and they have been for a long time, but that's subjective. You still have to grade the move. This is with uh, cameras and computers. They can tell a millimeter of valgus. That's where the knee comes in towards the midline. So we now, I mean, I've learned a lot. I was a college strength coach when I was 55. I was a college a strength coach at Pierce College. In those days, if you were the, an offensive lineman, you were the strength coach because those were the only guys that lift the weights back then. So I've been in it for a long time, and this was the first thing that really individualized stuff. You know, we've always been, you know, tailored to adolescents, one size fits all. But with um, the performance lab, it tells us where guys are imbalanced and where injuries can occur. And so now we resolve those compensations before we load. So we don't just walk in the first day and start throwing a bunch of weight around. We resolve ankle mobility problems and hip stability problems. So we do a lot of stuff in our, they have us, we do their stretch and the whole thing. So we kind of, you know, uh, drink the Kool-Aid there. Uh, so a lot of our stretch now is rotational and functional. We do a lot of balancing stuff. We do a lot of proprioception. Things that in the past, like on an overhead squat, kid couldn't get her feet flat. You know, for most of my career, I'm yelling at him, get your feet flat, get your feet flat. Well, you know, they're telling me if the kid doesn't have the ankle mobility to get her feet flat in an overhead squat, then it's just you yelling at the kid for something that he can't control. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's, I mean, there's a lot of bad things that go along with that style of coaching. But if you're ignorant, and I was ignorant, even though I had a degree in exercise science, uh, I was ignorant to that. Um, then you're making those kind of mistakes. So we, it's more of a scientific, but we've had amazing um, results in injury prevention and performance. And, and, and we've tested it against, like last year, we had three games missed on our whole team. It's not like we're out there, you know, playing a soft schedule. We, we play an over 50 rated schedule. And, uh, and we're a college prep school, so it's not like we're getting, we had uh, tougher, more physical guys at Birmingham than we do at Shambhala. But we're smarter um, now, and really because of what the Performance Lab California does, and, and, and this has uh, you know, really filled in some holes for us. So um, I think, so we had three guys, three games missed on our whole team last year, and we had one kid that didn't work out with us. There's a long story behind that. He ended up with a stress fracture and missed half the season. So we can almost guarantee if you go through the three assessments and do your correctives and are with us every day, it's, you're going to be pretty much injury free. And if you don't, you're not. And we've just, it's, um, we've been four years now. I mean, TJ Bludger, perfect example. You know, three years, he had a, some anatomical things about him, you know, incredible athlete, but some things about him, um, that had hindered him injury wise. And some days they had, some weeks they had to work with him three times 
in a week just to keep them on the field. Never missed a game for us three years. All league, all three years. Goes to IMG where they have access to everything, the top of the line, everything. Missed half of the season um, with a high ankle sprain, which we think is 100% preventable and a result of training. So I know that's probably more than the cliff note, but the, the, <laughs> the, future, the future in technology is, is getting into sports and injury prevention and performance, and it's pretty exciting. Oh, dude, I was a kinesiology major. I, I could talk to you. I love this stuff. I eat this stuff up. So hopefully the fans listening are, are, are curious, but let's, get, let's move back to football and talk about the back-to-back 2012-2013 seasons where you guys played Sarah multiple times. Just for the fun of it last night, Coach, I went and watched a replay of the onside kick in the 2012 game. And it it was the Fox game of the week. They literally showed the replay a hundred times. And the one guy that was doing the play-by-play kept saying, oh, that's close. I'm going, it's not even close. It's like a yard and a half. It wasn't even, and the other guy's going, no, that's a terrible call. And the guy's going, blade of grass. I'm going, a blade of grass? Are you kidding me? So 2012, you guys, that's that's a championship game. 30 to 20, you guys scored. Brad Kai hit a a 40-yard slant for a touchdown. You guys kick an absolute perfect onside kick. You're down 30 to 28. You would have had the ball on their side of the field because they got a personal foul on on the extra point. Yep. Uh, again, fifty-two put, seconds with three timeouts and thirty-five yards to go. Yeah, I love that. You know well, exactly how many timeouts you had and how much time left on the clock. I yeah. love that you know that, Coach. Well, so what you talk you about remember? not get, you, you talk about not getting picked in two thousand seven. That's come and gone. But the onside <laughs> kick thing is just you know that dagger's still in there somewhere. But uh, you know it, uh, it's the human element. It, the hardest officiating at any level is high school and the reason is the guys have another job this isn't what they do by profession and they're all good guys out there trying to help kids but there's no instant replay in college in the pros you know if you make a mistake it can be corrected so I think you can officiate a little more freely so that was just human error and part of the game and 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 sad for us but you know it's yesterday's news you know and part of what we're doing here is we're trying to teach these you know, risk-taking males, these, 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 what we think will be leaders in society one day, teach them how to get over adversity. And, um, you know, sometimes things like that is a tough lesson to learn, you know, but if it benefits their life later on, the part of you says th- th- there was value there, even though <laughs> still trying to get over it. I don't know how many years later this is, but, um, yeah, that was uh, a heck of a run. And, you know, the neat thing about it is uh, our kids got to play against the Dory Jackson five times. And, um, you know, you'd love to say we play against guys like that all the time, but there just aren't guys like that all the time. No. But I no. think for our guys to play, and they had other kids on that team too, and I think for our guys to be able to play against those guys that are, you know, as good as it gets, I think there's some confidence, you know, that follows along with that. And plus they rise to that level. So... We've had some great games with Sarah. A couple of years ago, it was the same thing. Came down to the very end. Um, last year, it was it was back and forth, you know, to the very end. We had to go power pitch just to get out of there. And um, they do a good job down there. Those are good coaches. That's a great program. Those guys are actually our friends. But it's um, it's fun. So it's never the well, let's talk. Let's talk about the 2013. That was the year. And very next year, you you play them again. And yeah. you, you played those guys in league, 
And I don't know if you guys are like just extra motivated. They're probably thinking, dude, we got screwed last year by the ref. We're, we're going to destroy these guys. And yet you took on the chin, coach. It was 36 to 0. And yeah. the rumor that I heard was, and I want, I want you to address this, the rumor that I heard was you guys went absolutely vanilla in that game because you knew that you had a really good team. You'd probably play them again. And just, just to kind of give some historical perspective, that 2013 Sarah team, many people were saying was one of the all-time greats. I mean, people were saying it was going to be 2013 Bosco and Sarah, and that was your yeah. both those two teams had like 30 divisions. It would be like present-day, modern-day in St. John Bosco. But back in 2013, it was Sarah and Bosco, right? Bosco had Josh Rosen yeah. and like, dude, and, 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 yeah. and then Sarah had Adoree, Rasheem Green, um, John Houston, Deontay Burnett, Jordan Lastly. So everyone was just waiting for Bosco and Sarah to meet for the D1 deal. And you could, back then that had the regional games, right? So then you yep. guys just got smoked by them in league play, 36 to zero. You play yep. them again and kind of take me through. I mean, were people giving you too much credit by saying, ah, Ed purposely kind of just laid an egg just to, just to, you wanted to feel it out a little bit, or was that really your, your game plan? Kind of want to go vanilla, not, not show them anything, and then play them again in the final, and then all of a sudden, boom, here's, here's what we can do. Well, you know, we had a couple guys that maybe weren't household names back then, but Rick Gambo and JoJo McIntosh are, you know, having yep. incredible careers in the Pac-12. So we had some guys, you know, out there too. Just they were, you know, not quite ready for prime time time like they are now. Here's kind of what happened. It was just one of those nights. And sometimes, you know, you look up and you say, we can't beat that. You know, they, they score. And then uh, we get at one point, we punt. And the punt hits our stinger in the back. They pick it up and score. Okay, it was probably 21 to nothing at that point. At that point, I said, okay, you can't beat that. And it was their night. And so we had a bunch of stuff. And a lot of times our new stuff, uh, the stuff that we try to surprise somebody with, we do on third down. And it just got to the point where I said, it's their night. And we're not going to, you know, give up everything we got. So we did kind of... Um, keep it vanilla knowing yeah. that we felt like us two, you know, that particular year were the two best teams in that division. And, um, after that game, you know, it was 36 to nothing. And so the mantra for us was we have 36 points to make up and we have seven weeks to do it. And so we talked about that every week and, um, not that we were looking ahead, but we knew we had a pretty good team. And so there were games where we would, uh, as a staff, we would break down the opponent, and then every week we would spend 30 minutes on Sunday working on Sarah. And we got some outside help. Eric Kramer helped us. There was a bunch of guys that had played in the NFL that were you know, guys that I had, and, and, and that we knew that we'd run film by them, tell them what do you think, and you know we knew that if we were going to win it, it was going to go through Sarah. And um, so we just kept an eye on that and, uh, and you know, and still tried to continue to improve. But that's what we told our kids. We got 36 points to make up. And it was funny because if you watch the broadcast, at the end of the game, Brad said something about we knew we had 36 points to make up. So um, it was cool stuff. And, uh, and also, when, when, when somebody – that happened to us one year with Tap. Tap beat us. Uh, 30 to nothing at home in game 10 and we played them in the finals in the Coliseum that year and it was we were winning 28 nothing at halftime so I think sometimes kids learn lessons like you got to get up all the time 
they learn that, you know, at, at the expense of losing a game. Sure. So sure. That by the time they get to the NFL, they, uh, you know, or even college, they know how to play every game. But in high school, you know, that's where they learn that lesson. So I think it was just a combination of things. I think Sarah thought it was going to be easy. I think Taft uh, in 2002, same thing, thought it was going to be easy. You know, we talked about ambush and all this other fun, you know, kid <laughs> stuff, and and um, and it and, and it paid off. So, but yeah, we I don't want to say we gave up. It just it, 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 the, the night in 2012 uh, uh, or 2013 in the regular season, it, it, it just it just swung their way. You could feel it, you know, yeah. that it was their night. Yeah. And so we didn't fight you know, it. Yeah. No, you know what's funny? So you guys beat, I was on the Sarah side for that game when you guys beat them 30 to 35, late field goal. That was leading up to that game. I'm sure you remember everyone said, Dory, you know, might not play. He's got a bad ankle. He's questionable. He had a phenomenal game and kickoff return for a touchdown against you guys. But I don't, I don't think people remember. It's almost like when, you know, when the United States beat Russia in hockey, that wasn't the yeah. that was That was the get to the gold medal game. You still had to go and beat Hart. And yeah. Hart had beaten you guys 55 to 54 earlier yep. in the year. That was, you know, Brady White, Trent Irwin. And then you guys played them and just, I mean, 28 to 10. What happened in that game? How do you how do you hold Brady White, Trent Irwin, who's put up 55 against you in the regular season? How do you hold those guys at 10 points? Well, we learned some lessons in the first game. In other words, we had to deal with the receiver and we had to put pressure on the quarterback. And then we had to have some kind of ball control so we kept their explosive offense off the field. And um, it was at uh, College of the Canyons again, so there was a lot of familiarity. You know what I mean? It wasn't like we were walking into a new place. You know, we went in there with eyes wide open. And um, even though we had just won a, you know, a, a, a pretty big game, it was... Um, I think the lessons that we learned from the first loss, you know, and that's one of the reasons we schedule up too, you know. Hey, if you're going to take a lump, learn the lesson. And we talk about that all the time. And uh, and, and we did. And um, it just it just went good. And Brad had a good game. And then in the second half, we, we went to the power pitch a little bit. And I don't think they were as ready for it, you know, as, as maybe they needed to be. But, and that's another thing. We spend a lot of time on fundamentals and stuff. So early in the season, normally we're a, a, maybe a little bit t- behind when it comes to team time. But for us, it's about the playoffs. It's about you know winning the league and, and making a run in the playoffs. So we sometimes sacrifice a little bit early so that you know we can be more ready later. You know. And this is fun. I could, I could keep going. Let, 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 let's. Let, I know we gotta let you go. I, I think I said twenty minutes. It's been like forty almost. Um, but let's real quick. I want to talk about this year's team, right? Two thousand eighteen, okay. two thousand nineteen football season uh, from a Cooney's perspective. But it's the two thousand eighteen season. You got some guys coming back. Your defense looks strong. You got the quarterback coming back, Stevens. You got Blake Gonzalez and Chris Rankins, Michael Earhart. Uh, if you can, man, let's break down this year's team. What do you expect? We got to, you know, replace Andrew Van Buren and Michael Wilson. Who's going to be doing that? And uh, how excited are you for this year's crop of kids? Yeah, Michael uh, and, and Andrew um, Dallas uh, Taylor Cortez at Iowa State, uh, Gissingers at Michigan State. We got 13 guys out last year uh, to college football. And so we did have a big, especially on the offensive line, most of our defense is back. We have another linebacker, Jonathan Thomas, who is a monster, 6'2", 235, and athletic. He also plays running back. He's another guy 
that, you know, kind of is a little bit in Blake's shadow. Blake makes a lot of tackles. Uh, he plays the position <laughs> that, that ends up being the tackle maker. And, and he's fast and he's tough as heck. And Mike uh, Earhart's fast. Chris Rankins, you know, and now will be his third year starting. Obviously, Ryan threw for 2,600 yards last year against great competition. Um, we, it's going to be interesting because our numbers uh, aren't what they have been in the past. And um, one deep, we're pretty good. Once you get past that, we have a lot of young players. So part of it is going to depend on how fast the young guys develop and how well we hold together. So we're really going to test the performance lab of California on injury prevention because some of these guys are going to have to go both ways. And um, it'll be interesting to see. We'll find out early. We, uh, tomorrow night we scrimmage Narbonne, and um, then uh, the following Thursday it's Oaks, and, and you know we play Folsom and, and Bosco and Mission Hills of San Diego and Pericles. So we, we play teams that made long runs last year. But really... And we don't tell the guys this so much as we understand it, is we don't necessarily have to beat, you know, Folsom and Bosco and those guys. We have to win our league. And which means we have to beat Sarah and Ahmad and, 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 and all the mission league schools. So that, you know, that, that's our focus. So it, we may take some lumps in the preseason. And as long as we can stay healthy, I think, you know, down the stretch, you know, we're going to be able to do this. This is a tough year, though, Greg. The yeah. CIF moved back the game schedule and did not move back the start date. So we lost a week of training camp, and this has been, um, I think I slept three hours last night, it's been particularly hard for me trying to organize to get the guys ready in such a short amount of time. And we, uh, we had our uh, blue and orange scrimmage uh, uh, that ended up being our third day in pads, and it was horrible horrible because it was a week before when it was supposed to be i hope everybody else is having the same kind of problems i'm having but um it's going to be interesting to see how that all you know pans out but um i'm excited about these guys because they've been around they're great kids we have a lot of uh, guys uh, high gpa guys so this team is um you know pretty smart and on defense especially very experienced and, you know, if we can hold together, I think we'll be pretty good. So I had no clue. I know they moved up. I mean, I don't remember ever having a, a game, you know, August 16th and 17th. I had no clue that they didn't give you guys next week of practice time also. That, that seems kind of strange. And I don't know if it was an oversight, you know, and then it ended up being too late to change. Uh, or if the advi- I don't know what the thinking was behind that. I'm not on any kind of advisory committee or panel. I don't even know who is. But it has really uh, challenged us. And so we've had to go more than we normally do on Saturday. And you have an 18-hour rule, too. So there, there's a bunch of – if you comply with all the rules, it's pretty tough to get them ready in this short amount of day. Or at least that's what I'm finding. So um, hopefully it won't – we won't have – and I'm talking about uh, section-wide. Hopefully there won't be yeah. – more injuries than normal just because of whatever went in to moving up the, the games and not moving up the start date. So Fascinating stuff. So last one yeah. for you. Um, Got to preview the Oaks Christian game real quick. Last year you guys beat them up a little bit up front. You guys ran the ball right at them. Really contained Kayvon Thibodeau. I don't think he even got near the quarterback. 
huge game for Andrew Van Buren. Defensively, you guys were all over him. What do you expect from him this year? I mean, they got they got a lot of guys coming back. Kayvon's coming back. Bryce Farrell's coming back. Um, obviously, Josh Calvert. The running back, Zach Turbin, is coming back. Uh, when you watch the film on Oaks Christian, what are you seeing? Well, we haven't seen anything yet, uh, but we will after the scrimmage. Um, yeah, we might have just caught him at the right time last year, and it just might have been uh, our night. And though they return, I think, all of their defensive starters. So I think we might have snuck up on them a little bit last year. I don't think we're going to sneak up on them uh, this year. I think they've had a year to, to uh, fester and ruminate on it. Um, but we're up for the challenge. And really, like I said, we, we want to get better. And, and, and we're glad that, that we're able to play them. We'd like to play more of the, of the local schools. But, you know, it is what it is. They um, and they are loaded, and they're loaded up front. I think they only graduated one offensive lineman, so it's going to be uh, a challenge. And you know, the schools are so close that there's a lot of um, everybody knows everybody. So there's a lot of that. You know, like our old Taft Birmingham rivalries, where you know the kids played pop Warner together and that kind of stuff. So you know, to me, put the kids. Football is not a lifetime sport; it's a once in a lifetime sport. Put these kids in a meaningful event from the big crowd and let them experience that level of excitement, you know, in adolescence. And I think it serves them, you know, in their um, journey along their way. So, yeah, we're excited about it. They're going to be good. And hopefully, you know, we can hang in there with them and um, just keep getting better. Yeah, yeah. Coach Keith, before we let our guy go, you got anything for Mr. Ed Croson? Yeah, just want. Yeah, just want to add how much of a pleasure it was to have you on Coach Coach. It's such so much knowledge, experience, and wisdom uh, from the Performance Lab out there in San I to your reference to the late, great Don Markham and his power pitch and how well it serves your teams um, over at Birmingham, over at Chaminade. I just really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all of that with us. Hey, thanks for shining a light on high school football. It, it, it's valuable to our society. Thanks, guys. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no question about it. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Ed Colson, Chaminade High School head football coach here on the Transparent Truth. All right, we appreciate Coach Colson for coming on. Again, uh, approaching legendary status, GB. I don't know how many (laughs) wins this guy has as a Southern California head coach, but again, um, you know, he has some wins that are eye-opening, eye-popping, and this guy's always a threat to beat a top tier program he's kind of like you know uh, you know a Dan Hawkins was or a Chris Peterson when he was at Boise you know might not have the best talent on the field but because of coaching because of system uh, because of offseason development he has the opportunity and a very good opportunity to beat a more talented team no and, and like you said that's always a mark of a good team he'll take your players and, and, and he'll trade and he'll beat you with, with your guys. If, if whoever has less talent, he still gives you a chance to win every single game. I mean, he is, he's ahead of the game. He gets it. Um, again, to talk about the Sarah, you know, rivalry was fun because he went vanilla when they first played against them, got hammered, didn't show a thing because he was looking at the playoffs. He didn't care about a league game. He was looking ahead of the game to the playoffs. And when he completely changed everything around and they end up beating one of the better teams in the last 10 years in the Southern section with Adori and all the dudes they had, uh, John Houston, Rasheem Green. So, no, 
Ed Coach is awesome. That was a fun interview, and uh, he's always good to talk to. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So, uh, you know, another another one up, another one down here on the Transparent Truth Five Star Friday. We are excited about next week. We are previewing Division One and the LA City section, and we'll be pre- previewing games um, that are going to be happening and taking place the first week of the season on Friday. High school football is about to be in full swing here. We couldn't be more excited um, about year two of the Transparent Truth. Uh, being at the game, I know we plan on, or at least I plan on, and hopefully GB is going to join me at the Chaminade uh, Oaks Christian game, which is going to be on Thursday. Friday, I could take my talents to Upland, La Habra, or I could take them to go see Centennial versus Chandler, Arizona at Centennial. Going to be exciting nonetheless. Uh, for all you football players out there, stay healthy. For all you football fans, please go out and support these kids. Go to the games, tailgate, sit your butts in the seats, root for your team respectfully, root for your kids respectfully, and let's go out and, and, and give people an example of what we would like to see at our high school football games. Respectful cheering, but cheering nonetheless. Very supportive of our coaches, very supportive of our players, our cheerleaders, our administration, and provide an environment for these kids that they can thrive in, not be embarrassed about. So that's what I got for you here on The Transparent Truth. Without further ado, it's time to bring this baby to a close. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool. <laughs>